Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. On this episode of DesignCast, I had the awesome opportunity to chat with my friend Chris Stevenson. Chris is an MYP development consultant with Toddle and lead learner and founder of Atlantic Isle Consulting. We had a great conversation about how being able to pivot is important now more than ever. Chris has had many chances to do just that. We recorded this episode as the weather was changing where I live, so my allergies were in full swing. So please forgive my congestion. (laughs) Enough of me talking. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Chris. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to another edition of DesignCast, and I am absolutely just humbled and excited to have an old friend, Chris Stevenson, here with me. Chris, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jason Regan. It is early here in the East Coast of the United States, and I will only get up this early for a few people, and you're one of them. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And you know, Chris, I would stay up late for you, which is what I'm doing right now. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing the same thing. So I appreciate it. And so, Chris, can you tell me and the folks listening a little bit about your journey in becoming an educator? I grew up in Northern Ireland. I went to a traditional Northern Ireland grammar school, but 
I had two influences in, in becoming an educator. Uh, one was my A-level history teacher, Mr. Brown. He inspired in me that teachers work very, very hard, um, always gave me feedback. In fact, I still have some of the essays I wrote for him with the feedback annotated in the margins. So I learned the guts of hard work from that. And the second teacher that influenced me to become a teacher was Mrs. Drennan, my geography teacher. In fact, I became a geography teacher. Um, so I love the subject of geography so much, but I also learned empathy from her. She was an uh, amazing support at a time in my life, which was really tough. So I did a lot of youth work when I was a teenager as well. So uh, teaching always was probably naturally in my blood. That's partly why I became the person I became today for many different reasons. But those were two of the big influences that early on. That's wonderful. And I can tell you this, we're well past 40 episodes. And every time I ask someone, they've always got a teacher like that. And so it's great that you have multiple teachers that have inspired you and, and pushed you. And you mentioned geography. Tell us a little bit about Best your journey. Best subject in the world. <laughs> so tell me all about your, your time as a geography teacher. Geography in Northern Ireland is a pretty big subject. It, it clashes up against history. We go to battle all of the time. And I spent three years in Northern Ireland as a Northern Ireland geography teacher. So we taught one of the first schools in the Peace Line in Belfast that was fully integrated, Hazelwood Integrated College. And then spent some time out in a rural high school, way down the country, way down the country in Northern Ireland's about a 10 minute drive for most Americans. I love teaching geography, but I've also got the opportunity to pivot. And geography is one of those subjects that people don't realize. There's a lot to geography. You've got not just the physical geography that I really enjoy, river studies and all of that. But you've also got the economic and the human geography side of things. So it actually makes geography teachers really, really flexible, open-minded. And I have had opportunities to pivot into other aspects of being a geographer, like leading the program for business in the community Ireland way back in the day for the school business partnership, where we went out to schools and we partnered them with local businesses so that really honed their local economic geography, if you like. I had the opportunity to work with Eco UNESCO for a few months on their campaign for environmentalism in schools. I also worked with the National University of Ireland in dissolving boundaries through technology and education projects. Yes, I've been doing this and video conferencing and things in the curriculum since 1999, when we had students in the Republic of Ireland talking to students in Northern Ireland by the most glitchy video conference phones you've ever seen in your life. But they were creating curriculum together, they were learning together, and they were learning about understanding each other. So being a geography teacher actually helps you be a broader teacher in that context. That's where I came from. That's uh, And I still today, often when people ask me, what do you do? I, I always start with the, well, I'm a geography teacher by trade, because I'm darn proud of that particular label. Yep. And when we met, gosh, I, I, I fair to say how many years ago that was, Chris, <laughs> you were a geography teacher and an individuals and societies and humanities teacher. And so we've we've been friends for a long time. And your your career has changed about as many times as mine has in that time. And so it, it, it has the art of the pivot, I call it. And it, it 
generally geographers talk about the, the environment influences and it's usually because of environmental influences. My latest career pivot, I was the director of academic technology at a school here in the great state of Florida and I would have stayed there forever but my environment changed. My, one of my parents passed in, in 2017 and mm. my family needed me so I had to, I'm actually reading Randy Zuckerberg's book at the minute Choose Three. So I had to choose and my choice was my family. Uh, the school were wonderful about it in terms of they knew that, mm -hmm. that, that that was the right choice to make. So pivots mm -hmm. don't come sometimes because you're um, directly thinking about it in that way, although my previous pivot was very deliberate and planned. Sometimes pivots have to be a reaction to your environment, and, and geographers know that. You and I both are involved in adult education and working with other educators. And as you, I'm sure, will admit, working with teachers is the most rewarding and the most challenging possible thing you can do in your life because teachers are fantastic, but they know everything. And it's uh, sometimes hard to get folks on board. And so what are you currently doing, Chris? Tell us a little bit about your current journey. I've got kind of two things that I'm doing at the minute. My pivot back in 2017 led me to become the founder of Atlantic Isle Consulting, which pretty much covers a lot of gamuts of consulting. I'd spent a lot of time, my deliberate pivot way back in 2012 was to aim to become an instructional technology leader. I realized that being a geography teacher in the United States is actually pretty tough. It's not a subject that's widely taught on, on curriculums. History really does take precedence and I needed to diversify my skill set. So I actually, at the grand old age, 40, went back and did my master's degree in instructional technology at Kennesaw State. All fully on Online. So I've been doing online as well before it was a thing. But at the same time, I learned a lot, especially from the fact that I was the practically one of the oldest in the class cohort, which, you know, kind of gave me a moment to pause there. So uh, I found Atlantic Eye Consulting based on some of the experiences I had had. I'd worked really closely at thinking about specific things I needed to enhance in my career. So being part of the private school network, I got the opportunity to work with Atlas in their what used to be called their early career aspiring technology director program. It's now the Leadership Institute. And I also got, you know, I looked for opportunities where professional development was risk-taking, that I was really kind of trying to think for my students and what they needed to know and what I needed to learn in order to facilitate that. I went to Pi Academy, for example, with Raspberry Pi Foundation over in Austin, and they offer those at certain times of the year as well across the world. Wonderful experience. I don't think I slept for three days where they literally explain and teach you how to break down all the aspects of Raspberry Pi and deliver that to your students. In that context, those were specific and deliberate things to try and be the, I, I kept calling myself the lead learner. And when I found Atlantic Isle, I realized that I wasn't a CEO or a CTO or whatever. I was still a lead learner. So I'd still call myself that today. And I, I don't take that lightly. Being a lead learner, you get a lot of opportunities. And one opportunity has come my way recently is to work with Toddle. Um, which is a platform management that has really specialized up to this point in the PYP. Beautiful way of creating unit plans and also has ways in which students and parents can engage in the, the PYP journey for students. 
they're now branching into the MYP. So I've come on board as their MYP development consultant. I'm really pretty excited about the platform. It's a real it's all of the things that as an MYP teacher of many years when I was planning units and after the big next chapter, mm-hmm. I wanted to have and wanted to see. And now it's here. And I'm pretty excited <laughs> for educators that get to use something that makes life so much easier. Because that is one of the biggest things that as an educator I always find was that planning process and, and making sure that it was delivered with fidelity in the classroom was actually pretty tough, especially when you were using multiple different places to, to populate things. Those are the kind of things I'm working on. No day, no two days are the same. Two nights ago, I was coaching a, an MYP coordinator in Kazakhstan. Today, I'm talking to you in South Korea. I get to travel <laughs> the world from the luxury of the house that I designed and we built over the last two years yes ask me about building Mm -hmm. a house in the pandemic that's a good contact um (laughs) but i'm hoping that our world will restore itself so that i get to i I love being people in person as you well know james Mm -hmm. um and uh, sharing shrimp and grits and a few other fun things (laughs) back out there yeah you know it (laughs) that only took a little while to come up i love it That's too oh, funny. Yeah, <laughs> well, I had I had some I had some running things going on in my head thinking, how long is it going to take to say this? <laughs> yeah. And so that's great, Chris. I love to hear about your journey. And I remember you doing the Kennesaw State thing. And it's just been and you did some Google Innovator stuff as well. When I moved into the director of academic technology role, which actually forced a move from one state to another. You and I met in Georgia and definitely got a lot of connections with Georgia. And we, and we loved living up just outside of Atlanta. But a couple of things were getting to both my husband and I. The, the gorgeous Colin has to get a shout out because he's my... He, <laughs> oh, he, he, and he is sh- gorgeous. <laughs> he is gorgeous. In fact, uh, he's your brother from another mother. As he you is, have no doubt. Al- already said, when you see them together, you would think, yep, related. Especially in the beard uh, era. Um, we are not follically but, challenged. I'll say that much. No, you, uh, no, you are not. No, you both are not. But he's my 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 prop, my support, my my chief cheerleader. When I came to him with the idea that he could work from home, it was a change for him as well. Actually, changed his company. The change that we made. They actually went to remote working way before a pandemic, and their whole Atlanta office went remote a couple of years ago because Colin had led the charge that yeah, I can do all of what we do as an organization from another place. So sometimes when you make those specific decisions about your life and career and you're very deliberate about your pivot you also have to realize that remember good geography your environment might have to change as well you might have to shift a little bit so we shifted from atlanta to here in beautiful sunny um, indian river county down here in florida i took up the charge as the director of academic technology at a, a private school here it was a big challenge. One-to-one program, pre-K through 12, lots of opportunities for innovation. And it's it's where I started a makerspace in the office of what used to be the padre for the school. They gave me an office. I didn't need an office. I wanted a classroom. They didn't have a classroom. So I made one and grew a makerspace basically from dumpster diving, getting assets from all around the school. And then that lead learning. Students would come to me with ideas like one student really was into 
into battle bots. So we, I find ways of getting vipers into the building. And I started to learn robotics alongside him. I learned a lot from that student. And that's the lovely thing about being a lead learner in a school. You get to learn from your students. 90% of the skills I have behind this MacBook that I'm talking to you on now came from a student that I had in my 11, 12th grade. DP geography class when we went one-to-one at Atlanta International School, who would come up beside me when I was struggling with the tech and he would just say in this beautiful Irish accent, do you need some help there now, Miss Stevenson? It was great because I became not the sage in the stage, but I was the bumble humble. And I like to call myself the bumbling humble um, because you really do as a teacher have to change your mindset to say, Yeah, show me that. What's that shortcut again? And not be afraid to reach out to your students to be part of that lead learner. So we we started that makerspace, started negotiating deals with vendors. Uh, Craftbot USA were keen to give me 3D printers. So we we started to learn 3D printing and and how that would look in the curriculum. Because the makerspace is only as strong as the curriculum it supports and the teachers that you get involved. So more and more people started, you know, hauling themselves up to the second floor of what was the fine arts building and finding that there was this whole world of different opportunities to integrate technology into the curriculum. Um, and I wore out a lot of shoes running around that, that large campus to support the teachers there. And it didn't hurt that the space program here in, in this part of Florida really took off and that I had a horizon view of every single launch from my window. Pretty amazing to watch that because the needs in this part of the coast start starting to change as well environmentally and we need to have those kind of design technology challenges. Elon Musk is standing stuck up into space just up the road. So we needed to start preparing our kids for that in that context. I just love the opportunity to work with design because design is everywhere. Like geography is everywhere. That's the context right there. So Mm -hmm. I've had lots of opportunities to do that. You know, over the last couple of years, we've kept in touch and there's been more and more discussions of people you're working with who are in design and working in in design departments and schools and you're helping to support them. And so I'm just a little curious about those people and how you're helping to support them. I'll talk to the United States context, first of all, because that's where I suppose I'm home here in the United States. I've lived in the United States for 17 years, which and all of the time that I've been married, which is 20 years this year, we've never lived in Northern Ireland. So you hear this accent and everybody assumes, but I feel more part of the United States as as part of my career than anything else. And supporting design in the United States is interesting. A lot of middle schools, I spent a lot of time around middle schools find it difficult to get design into the the eight subjects of the MYP. They find it a challenge then to to assign a teacher and often it's the technology teacher and, and things like that. Product design uh, sometimes gets overlooked in that context. I spend a lot of time with non-specialists like myself that have come into design because they are integrating design into their subject area. So the ways to support those teachers is, is drawing back to that one reason, that second reason why I became a teacher, the empathetic listener. It's really important. And if you look at Stanford D School, that's the first way that you think about empathetic design is to listen and to observe what their context is. Is because every context is very different and to help them design the program that suits their environment and their context. So that's where I spend a lot of my support discussions when I'm coaching teachers 
around coaching school leaders about how design should look or how it can feel in their school to benefit their students. Because if we even look at the landscape that's gone on around us in the last year with a a global pandemic, we've realized that design is really extraordinarily important for students because we call it problem solving or project based. But the reality is it's in everything that they do, from the math that the students are doing to the constructs in language and literature, right the way to their scientific experiments and systems. Everything has a design component to it. And when we recognize that as a school culture, that makes design so much more easy in terms of how it's predicated. And it's not just the, well, that's the tech class, isn't it? Or the CTE class. It's really the nuts and bolts of any solid curriculum base. And that doesn't just mean the MIP or the the IB gamma. It's every school should have an aspect of design to it. And I'm saying that as the person that supports the teachers who find great joy when they realize that the stuff that they've been teaching for years and years legitimately can become a part and parcel of their assignment to having become the design teacher. That's great to hear, Chris. I agree with everything you've just said, and I agree that it's not starting over. It's just enhancing what we already do. And And I really, really, really love that you've hit on empathy a couple of times already, because I feel that's something that is truly missing from our current design guide and design expectations. I think it's, you know, it's implied, but it's not required or expected necessarily. And so I think it's great that you're you're picking up on that as well. That's wonderful to hear. And so it's, I love to hear uh, that you're supporting these teachers. Go ahead. Sorry. It's, uh, no, it's okay. I was actually going to say that, you know, I know the design guide for the MIP is under review at the minute. And it's mm-hmm. one of those great opportunities to have that conversation. You're completely right. I spend my day around the design guide when I was at my previous school. And by the way, full disclosure, my previous school was not an IB school, but I used that design guide and the things I had learned from working with design teachers. One of my big influences when I was at Atlanta International was John Davenport because that guy helped me write my final dissertation. I hung out in the design labs there in order to to better understand how this works. And I think that's where my miraculous uh, come to Jesus conversion came because (laughs) there there wasn't bangs and lights or anything like that. But I realized in that moment that pretty much everything that we do has an opportunity to dig into many other subject areas. With that review to that guide, empathy is a little bit lacking in it. The the ability mm-hmm. to I'm on a podcast where I'm doing all the talking, but I kind of gauge okay. my coaching. <laughs> <laughs> You're glad about that, right? Because if it was yeah, stuff that that's, answers that's you would have about. not much yeah. of a podcast. But most of my coaching sessions I'm I'm encouraging people to tell me their story in order to better guide them in a context. However, the geographer, um, you've got to go by the environment. It's really important for schools to recognize that. So that review, I'm really excited about it to see what will will shape the next design guide. 
Yeah, I'm excited about it too. And I'm, any chance I have, I, t- I talk to people because the idea is to get as many voices around the table to have this discussion because there was a lot of, some folks were really happy and some people were not really happy with the current 2014 guide. There's some changes that can be made. I mean, sometimes when things are put out, you don't foresee what's going to change in that time. It's a little easier with English or math, I think, because a lot of the the theories and, and whatnot are timeless in a sense. But with design, so much can change. You're having to mm-hmm. prepare for things that aren't even around. I heard a beautiful line recently. I've been doing some tech support for a, a provider here in the United States for shifting and talking about shifting and designing a shift when all of the professional development shut down across the planet. And that's what I was doing a lot of professional development. I was on a plane every Monday morning going somewhere, teaching workshops, coaching schools, consulting. All of a sudden that shut down. Well, rapidly we had to redesign our approach to professional development. So I've spent the last three months working with Florida League of International Baccalaureate Schools supporting their pivot online. And they've had nearly a thousand educators come through their programs in the last three months alone. The person that heads that up has this great saying, and she said, we're in charge of everything, but in control of nothing. When you think about how designers work, they go through a thousand failures in terms of pivoting their design to make it work. And often you have to do that with flexibility. One of the massive advantages of having that design mind, if you like, because that is the planet in which our students are. You're right. Mathematics has a lot of, you can teach the way in which mathematics is delivered for sure. We've seen that over the years, but those guides are maybe a little easier to look at. A design guide, you can't wait every seven years to just change it up. That's another thing that I think at first it was going to be the first one to done and then it wasn't. And so I'm glad to see it's finally underway that the discussion is happening. So I'm really interested to hear how many people actually you know, sent their information in. And, and I'm really anxious to hear about how these discussions are going to go starting in January. And so I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I think it will be some really lively discussions with mm-hmm. a lot of really great point of views. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So you've had to pivot a bunch of times. So you're currently in this role where you're running your own, you're, you're your own boss in a sense. And so tell me something that's a challenge being your own boss in a situation like this. Atlantic Isle was a side hustle to begin with. It became my main hustle. And now I'm, it's kind of back to being the side hustle because I'm, I'm sharply focused on, on working with Toddle at the moment. Some of the challenges of doing that in terms of being your own boss up until about I've only really started with Toddle in about maybe the last month or so you have to be very mindful of your time you have to motivate yourself you are the CEO the HR the motivator the cheerleader the paperwork generator the tax filer the everything of your organization so that's been the the core focus of of Atlantic Isle in that context. There's three core challenges to, well, r- running a side hustle. And my husband knows all about that because he's he's kind of got a barbecue business as well. We call those our retirement plans, by the way. When you're in business, like my, my, my husband works for a technology company. And when you're in private schools, that's a totally different way of thinking. What's your long-term goal and strategy? You know, I wouldn't mind sitting on a beach, you know, drinking margaritas and so on and so forth. That would be nice. 
for retirement, but that's really not in our in our DNA. So pivoting and, and learning new things, that's one of the beauties about being your own boss. And then having opportunities to work on really big projects in order to, to help other people's dreams along as well. So working with Toddle right now to get the MIP platform, uh, really, truly something that teachers will love. And trust me, I'm in love with it already. Um, having done a number of engagements to to talk about and to, to help teachers understand the new way to plan for the MIP itself. Lots of challenges being a lone female in technology as well. I'm, I'm really aware of that. Now, I have a boy's name. Most folk know me as Chris Stevenson and most people assume it's short for Christine. It's not it's short for Christian. So sometimes when I show up to the party and I've used my full name, people assume automatically that I'm a guy if they've never met me before. So, you know, being a, a chicken tech, what can I say? It's an interesting space. I'm also not a spring chicken. You know, there's a big milestone coming up in three years time. I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking about it already. I only came into technology, into the tech space eight years ago, you know, really formally. I'm still truly that geography teacher. Yes, I've always used technology in teaching and learning. Like I was crimping my own cup by for help network hubs in the 90s. But it's one of those things that that's always going to be a challenge, although the world is changing. And more and more women in technology are being recognized and the space is starting to get the equality it has it should deserve. And I've got a lot of really strong female friends that are in this leadership space. And we've talked about the challenges that we've had. Myself and post-title lead learner. I, I mean that. The world's biggest problems will only be solved by learning. I'm part of it too. When we talk to our kids about being a lifelong learner, we have to live that lifestyle. It's certainly interesting. There's days I wonder what in the blazes am I doing? I'm sure we've all had those days. But that's that's one of, that's the challenges that I have in my immediate horizon. That long-term margarita sipping horizon. Oh, I think I get bored really quickly. So I'd start another project. So yeah, I'd have to agree that I think you and Colin, I don't see you just sitting around and doing nothing. <laughs> and so let me ask you just very quickly, what's your vision as you move forward? I know you say that this business is a side hustle now, and sometimes it's your main hustle. What's the overall vision? What would you like to see happen with Atlantic Isle? It's a great question. I sometimes go to the page of things that I say I'm able to do, and I can work with schools and, and education to do. I always think about things in the short-term horizon and the, the, the horizon that I can get to easily, and then the, the, the longer fall of things. And I'm actually really, really good at the, the long strategy, the long game. For Atlantic Isle, it was meeting a need. It met a need at a time when I felt that I wanted to develop different skill sets. I was still working full time and I wanted to develop different skill sets than what I was doing in my job with the private school here in Florida. And that truly did help. It kept my skill set sharp in the IB world because I continued to engage with the amazing IB network that we're all part of. And it, it's so wonderful that I can stretch out in the day if I've got a question. I have a group text going on with four amazing female leaders in the IB world. And there is not a question I cannot get answered in that group tech pretty much in minutes. And then, of course, we, we goof off and we talk about other things as well. It's been a real survival line during the last 
year of challenge. And short term, Atlantic Isle is my side hustle right now. My, my full hustle right now, my full time job is devoted to lifting the toll organization into the the realms of the NYP. And we've a lot, we've a lot of really beautiful, we talk every day about problem statements that we want to solve for teachers. And we're solving them so rapidly. It's the beautiful part of being the lead learner in a company that is only two years old, but already has thousands of users. And every single day I am thrust into this world that's so different to teaching and learning, but it's all about teaching and learning. And that's our central focus. Everybody in Toddle are teachers. They are teachers working for teachers. And that for me is a really exciting time. So I'll still be out there doing some of the things that I've been doing with Atlantic Isle. And I mentioned earlier that I designed, my husband and I designed and we, we built a house over the pandemic. Um, big challenge. We never thought that we'd be able to be in a position to be able to do that. But part of that design was that I wanted a space out in the garage for a workshop so that I could develop learning strategies for students. And I don't know whether those will be learning strategies that I'll put in a YouTube channel or whether I'll hold local classes for the local schools, whatever that's going to look like. But that's my my little passion project back there. And I want to learn some skill sets as well. I've got a table saw that I'm just dying to get back to, to using. But the old issue of time gets back there so that I can learn aspects of product design. And actually, one of the participants in my most recent online facilitated course, a gentleman called Paul, he really inspired me because... He'd been in design his whole life, and now he was in the NYP, but he was just the most prolific learner, and he had been in this game for over 30 years, and he had a garage a little bit like mine with aspirations as to what to do when we've got more time. In all honesty, I'm at that juncture where I'd love to sit down and write a lovely big strategic plan for Atlantic Isle, but right now I'm in the moment, and I think everybody on the planet right now is in the moment. We're not quite sure what comes next, but because because I've been a pivoter for the last maybe 15 years of my career, been able to move mostly without too much stress into particular roles. I'm not planning too far ahead, but I know my focus right here right now is to, to serve the teachers that I'm getting to serve through the project that I'm working with with Toddle. Thank you, Chris. And I was going to ask you what you're excited about, but it seems to me you've already answered my question about what's <laughs> what's going on and, and how excited you are about these things. And so I'm conscious of the time and I really appreciate you taking time to speak to me today, Chris. And I want to ask you, what is the one ed tech tool that you cannot live without? Well, let me put that in two ways. Ed tech tool, I can't live without. Well, I'm a Google certified girl, so I cannot live without the Google tools. I use them every single day. I think I'm the most prolific around docs and slides and actually Jamboard right now. I'm sitting here with my iPad and pencil poised. I have so many Jamboards with written notes on them because I just love 
the feeling of being able to handwrite again. So there's a there's a tool that I can't live without. Is that is Jamboard is an amazing tool that was was hardware that smartly pivoted to become software. If I was teaching in an MYP school right now, you know my answer to that question. Couldn't live without Toddle planning units. I would have it done so much quicker than designing what the whole program's going to look like. If I was in an MYP coordinator role, I would need that in order to be mm-hmm. compiling paperwork for evals and for all sorts of things that you have to keep straight. You know that as a coordinator, keeping all of that conversation straight is mama. So there's two tools, Jamboard, Toddle, can't live without them. And that's the first time I've heard both of those on this podcast particularly, which is great. And so that's more tools for folks to to use. And I agree with you on both of those accounts. I I like both of those tools very much. And so what's a book that everyone should stop right now and read? I mentioned in the podcast I was reading Randy Zuckerberg's Choose Three. Now, this was a gift to me by a wonderful MYP principal out of Indianapolis, and it arrived in the mail unsolicited. I started reading it, and I'll not, I, I, I confessed to a couple of my girlfriends, I wasn't loving the writing at the beginning. Zuckerberg is very much, you know, it, she's almost millennial, but not. So there was a little bouncing around. But as I got into the book, it actually started speaking to me because what her premise is that we have so many things as busy people in a day to balance. And she is Randy Zuckerberg, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's little sister. She has all of that family stuff tied to her and legacy and all of that. And she's extremely busy, but she has major passions like Broadway theatre. So she talks about that you have many things you can choose in the day. Family, work, sleep matters, you know, balancing out with sleep, your passions and all of these things. But you can only choose three in the day. And it's okay for a little while to be lopsided in one of them. So for example, I'm lopsided really right now with work. I have been pulling 16 hour days for a long time now. That lopsidedness is okay for a little while, but then you have to balance it out with family or with sleep. So you get to choose only three out of the the five that she talks about in her book every day. So I'd say that's actually a valuable read. And it gets you thinking about your your own pivot and your own lifestyle changes. So it certainly has helped me uh, in terms of thinking what my short term is going to look like and and how that might morph into the long term. That's great. And the continual streak of books that people recommend that are not education based (laughs) continues. So thank Thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's it's actually it's just part of, of of a theory that I'm beginning to develop, which is you know we have all these education books out there, but really people are interested in reading other things and then finding a way to adapt that to what they're doing in their practice. And so I think that it's really cool that that continues to come up, and also it shows people are well read, which is also good. So that's great, Chris. If people want to follow you or get in touch with you what is the very best way to do that do you remember i said i was a geography teacher i started a twitter handle in uh, 2011 at a conference it was the lausanne laptop institute back in the day and our former tech director uh, took me there along with one of my very good friends and i'm sitting in the audience and they tell us to start tweeting in that moment i create my first my, my twitter account my first tweet and i couldn't think of what to call myself so i thought 
well, I like geography, so that's good. I'm a geography teacher. I'll do that. And then I said, well, well, of course that was taken. And I said, well, then I'm, I'm, my nickname is We. So follow me at Geography We on both Instagram and Twitter. You now have the story about that really ridiculous handle. And will I ever change it? No, I am Geography We, and I will always be Geography We. I always know I have the right email too, so because <laughs> there's some there's some geography in, in that too. Yeah, there's no we in that, but there's some geography in that, so I know I have the right one. Chris, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making time out of your busy 16-hour day to talk to me, and I know that everyone's going to find something valuable to listen to what you have to say. So thank you for speaking with me. Thank you, my friend. I am John Zobrist and I listen to Designcast from Singapore. I am Afreen Sheikh and I listen to Designcast from Mumbai, India. I'm Danielle and I listen to Designcast from Osaka, Japan. I'm Joe Smith and I listen to Designcast from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I am Ronald. I listen to Designcast from Jakarta, Indonesia. I'm Alex Braden and I listen to Designcast from Shanghai, China. I'm Chris Willauer and I listen to Designcast from Shanghai, China. I'm Andy Richardson listening to DesignCast from St. Paul, Minnesota. This is Craig Frelick, and I am listening to DesignCast from Singapore. This is David Ardley from Switzerland. Looking forward to your next DesignCast. I'm JD, and I listen to DesignCast from Qingdao, China. I'm Jody, and I listen to DesignCast from Georgia. This is Jared Dunbar, and I'm listening to DesignCasts from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I'm Enrique Caetano, and I listen to the DesignCast from Portugal. I'm Kevin O'Shea, and I listen to Design Cast from Shenzhen, China. I'm Linda, and I listen to Design Cast from Milwaukee. I am Samuel Landetti, and I listen to Design Cast from Dubai. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Design Cast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you, and I look forward to seeing you again really soon.